0: Hi, I'm Mark Salisbury, the editor of Burton on Burton. I'm sitting here with Tim Burton, director of Big Fish. So, Tim, this project had been around for a few years before you got hold of it. Um, What was the attraction?
1: Well, it was nice to actually work on a project, you know, given by a studio that wasn't based on, you know, I've usually done films based on comic books or bubblegum cards or other movies. So it was nice to actually work on something that, that you know, defied simple description and, uh, y- you know, they weren't interested in getting other writers. It was working with one writer and uh, so it was a real, you know, unusual experience that way.
0: And you said to me that after working on so many kind of large, big studio projects, you know, Planet Eight, the Apes, Sleepy Hollow, even the Superman movie that didn't work out, um, that you wanted to do something more personal and obviously this is personal in a lot of ways.
1: Well, yeah, it was, uh, you know, my father had recently died, and so I was sort of thinking about these issues and that sort of unusual relationship that you have uh, with your parents, and no matter how old you are, it's just such an awkward, weird relationship. So it was always, you know, thinking about it, but very hard to put into words. So when I read this project, it was a way of, giving those themes uh, uh, an, an image and, uh, and, and sort of exploring them without therapy, which is, you know, <laughs> much more interesting and cheaper for me than, than, uh, than, you know, endless therapy.
0: I mean, you've talked in the past about having to connect with the characters. Um, so just talk a little bit about your connection to, to the William character, obviously, but also uh, Ed Bloom because he essentially does what you do which is
1: tell stories well I've actually never as you know I've never been really known as a storyteller I've always been sort of trash for not being able to tell a story although I always felt you know that's why I've loved movies is that you know there's different ways to tell stories and uh, like my father really wasn't a he wasn't a verbal storyteller and I I didn't come from a family that was very verbal I mean we we communicated by you know giving icy stares across the table and things like that so it wasn't a you know that kind of talkative or um, overly emotional family but um i remember my father did have a sense of storytelling when we were kids he would do this thing like when there was a full moon he would uh he would He had these false teeth so he would actually be able to take out his false teeth and he had these two sharp teeth so he pretended to become a werewolf and scare all the kids in the neighborhood so you know he wasn't verbal but i always remember that kind of magic that that, that he had that way and uh so that got me thinking about it and that so you know this character in in that way reminded me of him
0: and what, what about uh william because obviously you said that your father had died quite recently before you got the, the script and this is about a man trying to connect or reconnect with his father who who is dying of cancer. So one assumes that you, you felt quite strongly for the, for the William character as well.
1: well yeah, I, I felt like I needed to understand both characters, although I think I myself f- am probably closer to the Edward Bloom character and myself. I certainly also felt like the Will character. It's been very important to understand that that sort of dynamic and that sort of emotional repression and not being able to to talk about things and 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 searching for answers that aren't necessarily literally there. And and so it was very important to me to to really understand b- both equally that way. And and I also sort of I sort of tr- felt like. I've dealt with the kind of Will character before in other ways, I mean, he sort of reminded me of the Batman character in a way, which is somebody who's sort of internal and emotionally inward, and uh, so on a weird level, I kind of saw this relationship almost the way I saw sort of a Batman-Joker relationship, but on a slightly more realistic, you know, level.
0: I mean, you've always been attracted to, you know, the outsider, the misfit, the misunderstood person. In in your films, yet yeah. Edward is the kind of probably the most gregarious man alive. Is this a a slight departure in in that sense from characters that you've been attracted to before?
1: Well, I I, I liked his sort of you know outwardness, but I you know again I that's what I loved about the Edward character this sort of enthusiasm, and I, I I have that myself, and so you know it's sort of a twisted enthusiasm, and in fact. The thing that interests me about the Ed Bloom character is that he uses that sort of outgoing nature to also sort of mask a certain thing. I think uh, that, that's what I found interesting about him. And and people like that, you know, they they tell these stories and they do contain truth, but the, their their fantasy and their largeness is also a way to kind of keep a certain kind of privacy, which, uh, which I thought was interesting with the character.
0: Let's talk a little bit about John August's script, because if you read Daniel's book... Um, it's essentially a collection of st- short stories without a narrative, and John did a fantastic job of just kind of, m- you know, merging all these stories together and coming up with, you know, in and out of fantasy and reality. Um, just talk about about that for a second.
1: Well, I thought John's script was great, and it was it was really nice again to work with one writer you know where the studio wasn't trying to change it make it a team of writers or this or that that sometimes happens in films so uh and i read his script before i'd read the book and i i I was glad i did because i thought that john really gave it a shape and a form and i didn't really know where it was going and then it sort of ended up being about something very simple so i thought uh you know it was a it was a real pleasure and a really clear experience that way To talk about um a little bit
0: about the casting the dual casting of the the ed bloom role because obviously ewan mcgregor you. is playing him as a young man albert finney as an older man how how did you, i mean you couldn't choose one without the other one assumes you had to find two actors
1: yeah i mean it wasn't a case of like you know you would sit in a room and think well they go talk about one person and it's like well one person you can't really you know decide without the other and uh I remember looking at a picture of uh, Albert from Tom Jones and it's just then you look at a picture of Ewan, and there was just something about their, the, the, the the spiritual s- connection between them uh, that was just a certain kind of charisma that they both had that that uh, that was very very close and and, and that was you know the film couldn't have been made if it didn't have that kind of connection and the same with Allison and Jessica it was like it really needed that kind of connection and what I found interesting was more than just physical it was something in their spirit that that, that needed to be there and uh, so it was very very lucky then we saw a picture in People magazine that sort of had that kind of separated at birth kind of like the connection so you know that was we could show the studio that you know this casting has been sanctioned by People magazine so you know it gave it a certain more credibility than I <laughs> might have had otherwise. The the birth sequence, um, that was, I think,
0: a late addition to to the script. You had this elaborate uh, thing planned, and for budgetary reasons, you decided to to do this one. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, you know, there was some elaborate thing. It was sort of, I think it was in the book, you know, this uh, funeral for a guy who'd eaten rocks, and, you know, and then it sort of went into this sort of the birth of ed but it was a big elaborate sequence and and actually we couldn't really find that many hills around in alabama that we were so there was a combination of budget and time and uh and also just was fun to kind of come up with be more spontaneous you know we kind of just planned this sequence a couple of weeks really before we shot it so that, that kind of keeps everybody going and it just sort of sort of came up with the idea of this sort of slippery baby that's hard to catch and, and is uh, somewhat elusive that seemed, again, appropriate for the character. So I noticed that it's a big sideburn movie. Well, you know, the hairstyles of the 70s, we all love them. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there'll be uh, yeah, a special uh, sideburn uh, photo it's at the end of the dvd so so this sequence that we're watching now with the children
0: uh, approaching the, the witch's house is it was this done on location was this a studio a set i mean
1: well we pretty much shot most of the movie on location i mean we went down to alabama just because it seemed you know it takes place down there and just to get the vibe of the culture, and it also helped the actors, I think, with the accents and all, and 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 getting the local actors involved, and all just gave it a, a certain kind of. You're dealing with a fantasy, but it gave it a, a weird reality that I think you can only get when you go to a place. So, yeah, no, I mean, we were out here in the middle of the night with you know bugs the size of pigeons, all part of the atmosphere of of you know where the story takes place.
2: That's for S-H-I-T, that is. She's not even real wit. Now,
0: soon enough, the, the witch is going to be revealed, and it's it's Helena Bottom Carter, who you obviously had to endure a heck of a lot of makeup for uh, for of the Apes, and, and now even more makeup for this. I understand it was uh, Richard Zanuck's idea to, to cast her.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I didn't really... It, it was difficult because, like, with the duality of the casting with, like I said, the Alice and Jessica, Ewan, and, and Albert, Uh, this character, again, there's a time difference, too, so I I had trouble figuring out how we were gonna do that, but, um, but when he suggested it then, and and we had these other people in place, it seemed like it it could work out, and, uh, also gave her the opportunity to see what she's gonna look like at 105 years old, so, I mean, kind of jump at that chance.
0: She said that she spent hours in makeup for one sequence and came on set and then you shot it in one take
1: yeah i love torturing people i i don't know why it is whether it's an ape or a witch ladies makeup seems to take longer than the guys i i, I have no idea why it's it's uh this was a you know good six hour makeup job
2: and there's folks like see your uh yeah i brought it
1: let's see you,
0: you filmed all the um the real scenes you know the the uh albert finney ed bloom sequences first before you went and did the ewan stuff um why, why was that why did you want to shoot all the kind of the more emotional scenes at the beginning and, and then did that make the kind of fantasy a, a bit of a treat afterwards then
1: well yeah it really wasn't you know, often film schedules are based on lots of different things, actor availabilities, all this sort of location stuff, all that stuff. So, it actually wasn't a real conscious decision to begin with. Although I was actually kind of glad it ended up that way. It was it was a little bit frightening and scary to do it that way, but uh, it did uh, it, it did help sort of emotionally ground it for me so that then when we did all the fantasy stuff it yeah it did seem like a lot of fun and all that but it was fun to shoot the other scenes as well because I'd never really dealt with those kind of sequences before you know there was a certain trying to get a certain emotional reality that I hadn't really maybe dealt with before on quite such a maybe more subtle level and so it was it was it ended up being kind of good because uh it, it did help ground it, and like I said, we were shooting this whole movie so out of sequence that at least by doing that early on, gave it some shape.
0: And how, how did you work with the actors? I mean, did you, did you rehearse a lot with Billy and, and Albert to, to, you know, to get their relationship quite grounded?
1: Well, all actors are different, and I try to be sensitive to that. Some like rehearsing more than others, um, and, uh, you know, everybody's got a different style. But uh, I'm not one to really over-rehearse, because I like to let it sort of happen more as much on, you know, when you're shooting it as possible. But, uh, you you know, I think, like, Billy's a very thoughtful actor, and he likes to, you know, really dig in deep, and, and, and I... I think he he likes to do a lot of rehearsal because he's done a lot of stage. And I think it helps him at all as to where, you know, maybe Albert is different than, you know, he likes to be a bit more spontaneous. But they spent time together. And I think whatever the relationship is, I, I, I think they spent time and got kind of got into their characters that way by just spending time with each other. And so I try to be sensitive to the actor and give it, you know, each person what they kind of how they want to deal with it.
0: and bearing in mind your kind of personal connection to, to this story how do, how difficult did you find filming you know the the bedbound sequences
1: well, I wasn't really there when my father died so it was more um but it was very heavy. I mean, it, it, the actors were really good and they, you know, they're both excellent. At, all excellent. at just sort of finding a simple emotional truth. And that's what I loved about it because it's a it's a it's a real dance this relationship. And like I said, it could have so easily for me fallen into well what's the son's problem because the father's such a great character, but you had to understand both of the two sides of it and uh I felt very lucky that I had these two actors. were really good at getting that weird dance and that weird uh, juxtaposition of, of the relationship.
0: And what had you seen Billy Cranup in before that, you, for
1: the reason f- you thought of him for this role? Well, he's one of those actors that's that's. Uh, this is always a good sign to me. It's like. When you don't remember what they've been in and then somebody reminds you, go, oh, yeah, they were that because they're so into what they do. And they're such good at becoming characters and they just become a part of whatever it is that they're doing. So he's just one of those actors that that uh, is just so good. You kind of forget the things he's been in because uh, he just is right in there with it. So I hadn't seen him in a lot of things. Um, you know, I'd seen him in the uh what was it, almost famous and uh, I'd seen him in other things and uh, but he's just good and different in each thing. And he
0: has arguably the the hardest role in the entire film.
1: Well, I find that these roles are the hardest because they're the most subtle and they're the ones where you know, the trickiest. Like like I said, it could so easy, like, you know, the, the playing that kind of emotional repression in somebody who's very literal minded is quite you know difficult and it, it, I, I remember thinking the same thing about like you know like when Michael Keaton did Batman like he, he it was sort of under I found his performance was underrated just because it's not the flashiest one but you need these kind of performances to actually really help ground it and so that the other people can sort of bounce off the walls a little bit and 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 you know so these these are kind of the most difficult roles I think
0: and he plays it with a kind of certain rigidity.
1: Any sort of emotional well well, that was important to kind of let him you know to have that being withheld so that again it was always my goal to not be overly sentimental with this part of it because it was like so by the end when he becomes a bit more uh, lets out some things it's not on a grand level it's just in relation to the character that he is Uh.
3: No, your mother hasn't been keeping up the pool, if you want. How
0: did Ewan um, and Ann Albert, uh, how did they work together to, to formulate this character? Had you, because you obviously you shot all the Albert scenes first. Did Albert and Ewan talk about the role? Did you talk about the role with them? Did Ewan get to see some of the the, the dailies to see how he was being portrayed as an older man?
1: Well, uh, both Albert and Ewan, in my opinion, are very intuitive actors. I I think that they just like to kind of, you know, I don't think that they like to really over-rehearse things. So Ewan came and was there when we started shooting, even though he wasn't really shooting a lot. He came and sort of came onto the set and watched. And, you know, we'd met had a couple of meetings with Albert and Ewan together. Uh, but, you know, it was an odd thing because Ewan's not impersonating Albert. He's sort of playing this sort of romanticized version of him. So it wasn't a case of, like, doing an impersonation or, you know, doing an exact kind of copy of him. So it was a case of just him kind of watching and getting a sense of of Albert and then, again, taking it to more sort of fantasy Level of 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 romanticizing the character, and, and 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 so that kind of made it again less of an impression than a, than than taking it to another level of of adding a, a sort of fantasy element to it.
2: Truth is, no one quite knew what was wrong. Most times,
0: so in a minute we're going to see. Uh the young, very young Edward Bloom in in bed in this strange contraption, Um, this thing. And uh, people have said, looks a bit like something out of Edward Scissorhands.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's like, I never consciously try to do this stuff, but, you know, uh, when you're you're making something, it's like when you do a drawing or whatever, it's like I can't, I don't really change my style of drawing. So it's sort of like, you know, it always sort of ends up kind of looking... The same in Colleen, you know, did the costumes. We worked together many times. So it's like kind of you just, again, you're not making these things conscious, but they end up kind of just happening that way.
0: And this uh, sort of heroic sporting uh, montage that is just starting now, um, just talk about Ewan's sort of portrayal in this, because it's just like lots of little scenes where he gets to be the all-American hero, save the dog, save the world, get the girl.
1: Well, he loved doing this because it's like, you know, we do like, you know, he did like three or four sports in one day so, and he got to be great at everything he did. So it was like, it was a real confidence booster, you know, sports he's never played before, things he's never done. But, you know, score, a touchdown, home run, you know, everything like that. So, yeah, he, he I think he really enjoyed those those days. And again, you can see a, a sort of similarity
0: with Edward's hands and the suburban landscape here. Well, it's all very
1: pleasant, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, yeah, beautiful. No, I mean, even though I was glad to get out of those areas, I still have a soft spot for them.
0: about this sequence um you know animals fire must have been tricky
1: oh yeah well it's slippery steps dog that doesn't want to be carried out of a fire yeah all looks so effortless <laughs> this took about 20 times to do that one
2: until one day
0: a stranger... and the film has a, a kind of peewee-esque quality in, in
1: the sense that there's lots of little genres going on in it well it did feel i mean it was in some ways kind of I had a lot of fun shooting Pee-wee because of that. It felt like shooting a new film every day, and this was the first time I would felt that again since that, that time. Every every day was almost like we were doing another type of film, and and you know that kind of keeps everybody's energy going and and uh, makes it a lot of fun. Especially after doing like the heavy scenes, like you said earlier on, um, you get to do the bad 50s monster movie here. You get to do the circus movie, er- everything. So it was it was great.
0: So, we're about to see, uh, Carl the Giant, um, h- how did you, how did you find Matthew? I mean, he's what, seven foot eight?
1: Yeah, well, he's not hard to spot in a crowd. What I loved about him is, is that, uh, I've met big people before, but just when he, you know, met him and he just started speaking, he just had such a gravity and such a, I mean, because obviously he knows what it's like to be that way and so there was just a certain sensitivity and 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 gravity to the to to the man that that thought was really great and it just fit the thing perfectly
0: and is it true he has the largest feet in the world that's in the guinness book of records well,
1: that's what they say you know guinness book i mean It is quite amazing, Uh, you know, oftentimes on long days, you'd see the crew sleeping in one of his shoes, you know, when they'd get tired. I mean, they were really large, uh, you know, amazing, amazing things, those shoes. (laughs)
0: Can you just talk about how you created the illusion of his height? Because if he's, he's seven foot eight anyway, and and this, you know, he looks about 12, 12 foot.
1: Yeah, we, we you know, we, we, it was important to not do too many special effects. And so we did a lot of just lenses, a, a lot of just, uh, you know, false angles and, you know, little people portraying you and from behind that kind of thing. So uh just because we wanted it to feel, you know, I mean, I think we only had like maybe five blue screenshots in the whole movie. So we wanted it because of the nature of the story, I think, just make it as as present as possible. And so, you know, we just did it all pretty much on the location and and uh and, you know, build some small scale props, things like that
0: again that's quite unusual isn't it because in Hollywood nowadays it's shoot it all with CG and here you've gone and done it all practically essentially
1: well it just the story seemed to, to to call for that I mean you know and also too when you can do anything you know there there's a there's a you know because these stories are kind of fabrications you want them to still feel like there's a a humanity to it and not you know that when you can do anything then it then it it sort of loses its impact, I think, a little bit more with a story like this than maybe, say, other types of films. But uh, also it helps the actors. I think you and, you know, enjoyed the fact of, you know, and all the actors enjoyed the fact of dealing with things there on the set, on the location, rather than being a, in a blue screen room.
0: Uh, Big Fish is the first time you've worked with uh, Dennis Gasner as a production designer. Uh, I mean, you, you've tended to work with, the same few production designers over and over again so just talk about why you brought him on and and just the look of the film the look that you were after for the film
1: i would heard good things about dennis and he uh has done lots of great work at, and all and uh, this was an odd one because we had just lots of little sets it wasn't like a lot of these big grand I mean Spectre was the the town of Spectre was probably the biggest set we did but it was just a lot of little almost kind of vignettes so just kind of jumping around and dealing with lots of little things uh, uh, that that we needed because it was very very sort of helter skelter that way but you know he's done a lot of different things that way and was able to kind of adapt and, and move and groove
3: Edward Bloom, first son of Ashton.
0: I mean, and the film also takes place over quite a long period of time. It's sort of 40 years, essentially, isn't it? 40, 50 years?
1: Yeah, but there again, it wasn't a case of, like, you know, we're not... This is not a historically accurate movie because it's based on somebody's stories. You know, I remember actually that some extra came up to me in the circus and said, if this were the fifties, there wouldn't be any blacks in the, it it kind of shocked me in a way because I thought like, oh my God, you know, this is a place where there is racism, there's segregation, there's all these sort of problems. But the fact is I never treated the Ed Bloom character as that type of a person. He was not like, he wasn't a racist. He was not a person who saw things in the way that maybe that most people in the culture would see things so when he was looking back at these times it was always a mixture of things and not necessarily as I said sort of historically accurate.
2: And
0: those little toy cars that they're driving around at the
1: end—that oh, was fun. Yeah, I, I've always loved the uh, Shriner, uh although I don't understand it except that they—these are these guys that just go to parades and drive around in precision little cars, which are quite amazing. You know, I mean, I—I I got to, to to drive in them uh, often, which is sort of—it's always been a dream of mine to drive in a Shriners car, so. Your dreams can come true when you make a movie.
0: And essentially, your your vision of the South in this film
1: is Edward's vision of the South. Yeah, as I said, it's not a historically accurate one uh, because... Uh, I just, as I said, I, you know, would there have been a black doctor delivering the baby at this, you know, at that time, well, no, you know, but because it's this guy's friend, it's it's the way stories sort of mutate into things, and your friends, you, you know, sort of supersede anything that maybe is what is happening that, that's, that, that's again, historically accurate. So that was just an important dynamic to me. And again, was this uh, a set, or
0: was this woods real woods that you dressed
1: well we we shot it both i mean we we sort of built onto a real location i mean this was all done outside and uh, just we wanted to kind of again give it give it a flavor of of the actual place so we actually built it outside on the location
0: and is it shooting day for night or is it just a...
1: a little bit of day for night uh which is always fun I've always liked that look.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a second, um, Ewan's Edward is going to uh, uh, walk into the town of Spectre. Now, in in Daniel Wallace's book, Spectre was a was a much more menacing, creepy, dark place than the the, the filmic equivalent. um i mean why was that i mean why did you did you kind well, of turn th- it down because it's still creepy
1: yeah well i sort of you know i sort of i think treated it like burbank you know that sort of even though it's the south but there's a similar quality of th- something that seems really nice but maybe isn't you know and we're also using the sort of the wicker man mentality of things that a place that seems sort of pleasant and nice but has a sort of undercurrent of something else and uh cause that to me again i think when you grow up in a place like that it sort of stays with you for a long time and and i like that kind of it's kind of a purgatory kind of uh, also too since the film's sort of loosely based on you know it's all got the images and themes of of what there is in mythologies and you know the sort of the sort of mythological sort of city or place like atlantis there's always those kind of weird places in uh, in, in in mythology
0: and the deliberate deliverance
1: well, yeah, it was, uh, you know, of course that scene in Deliverance is such, you know, such an iconic thing. And then uh, when we were location scouting. I kept asking about, well, where's that guy? You know, and people thought I was joking, but one of our ads or a couple of our ads, uh, Carlos actually found this guy. You know, went on the internet, found him, went drove to the city, the town where he was uh, from, some place in Georgia, a few hours away. He uh, was working in a restaurant, and uh, he came and, uh, and uh, he actually stayed for a long time. He was kind of a great spiritual presence on the set. He was a really, really nice guy.
0: So it was, it was definitely, it was the guy from Deliverance. I, didn't,
1: yeah. I wasn't aware of that. I thought it was just a, a no. little kind of no, know, we put cameo. Him, we put him in there just you know for people who s- saw that, got it, you know, and if you didn't, he's still, yeah. You know, it's a good little quick image in the film.
0: And and talk about the uh, the design aspect of how how you know, you and Dennis came to you know to came across this particular town. What what was it inspired by?
1: Well, we just wanted to have a very pleasant look, but a sort of a lived-in quality. So the aging on it, you know, even though it was bright and all, we just wanted to give it still the cracks and all, and so it had a lived-in quality. And uh, and also the inhabitants. I was very lucky with the, getting Steve and Loudon and the girl missy pile all these people that just had could, could do both things at once give a very nice pleasant but also an undercurrent of something else
0: so how did how did you come to cast steve had you just been an admirer of his work for a long
1: time or? oh yeah i mean he's a guy that just anytime i see him in a film i just makes me happy. He's just such a great presence, and I always wanted to work with him. And so, this was a small part, but it was just really fun to have him be a part of it. Because I love people that look like they could be in a silent movie. He's one of those guys that just expresses so much without even having to say anything. Oh,
0: hey, oh, oh, Jenny. Talk about your experience of working in the South, because you were you're based out of kind of Montgomery, Alabama, and you pretty much shot for four months on location down in 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 the, in the deep South of America. Um, how did you find that whole
1: experience? Well, you know, it, it's always interesting to go to a place that you would really never go, uh, <laughs> other than when you're working on something. So you get to see it in a way that. Uh, is, is unique, and it liked a lot of the people, but it is like being on another planet, which was helpful to the movie as well. I mean, a lot of people were really nice. A lot of the people were, um, I think, suspicious of us uh, movie types. Uh, you, you know, you get the full range of, of people. Like I said, you get bugs the size of birds. Uh, you get uh, the weird sounds. I mean, all this stuff that you wouldn't get if you were shooting on a soundstage in L.A. So it gives you just sort of creeps into your bones. Even the smell. Uh, I was living near a paper plant. It was so. It was this horrible smell that I kept smelling every day. But it almost made it kind of a part of it. I mean, and even talking about it, I can still kind of smell it. But uh, it, it's it's something you can't get unless you're there.
2: It's only three lines long.
0: Was the idea of Spectre being a barefoot town in the in the script?
1: Yes. Yeah, it was kind of. I think it was just sort of a a way of, you you, you, you know, symbolizing a place that you don't want to leave. It's so you know nice. You just take your shoes off and never want to leave.
0: And who who is this in the water? Is this meant to be? Why, that's
1: a naked woman, Mark.
2: But who is? I don't naked, get I
1: don't get chance to often to work too many with too many naked people, so it was a real pleasure. Now she was great because, as I said, I said I, I got, first we got first of all we got to cast somebody who's not going to get in the water and go, ooh, it's cold, ooh, it's so. She was fantastic. She was so great because uh, not one complaint, not one complaint about uh, disrobing, not one complaint about the. The disgusting nature of the water. Not one complaint about a snake moving ominously toward your rear. I mean, she was she was great. And you,
0: the thing about you and he reminds me of, of Johnny Depp in a way. He has this kind of "I'll
1: do anything" quality. Well, he is great, too. and like I said, with every day doing something, being attacked by an animal, or having to do something. Uh, I it was such a pleasure to work with him because it, and also to get that weird tone, you know, he's 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 playing somebody who's larger than life. He's not, you know, as I said, it wasn't an impression. So he's got to do that and still give it a some reality to it. Uh, and uh, I always find that that's a real difficult mix to get and not there's not a lot of people that can do that in my opinion and i and i he's one of them and i enjoyed that about him and it, and it gives everybody again me the crew everybody this sense of energy and fun to work with somebody like that
0: and he, he brings edward's open-hearted quality to the to the forefront really well
1: yeah now i mean when he's like proclaiming his love and doing all this there's all this stuff that that it it's meant to be kind of sappy but and over the top but he still gives it a a, a reality and, and there's a romanticism to him in the way he does it that i thought was really great
0: and now having played the young albert finney and the young alec guinness he's got a career playing
1: well somebody there will be soon somebody will be playing the young ewan mcgregor you know i mean uh, Well, he's good, that's, you know, I think what I like with certain actors is that they're able to kind of do anything that way, and I actually, I find that people that are good mimics, in a way, are oftentimes, they can use that, and are really great actors.
3: Roses are red, violets are blue.
1: I love Steve's character too because I, I, I he was another character I related to. This guy who really just is artistic, but doesn't really do anything. It's something that I think he, something I always kind of related to.
0: Yeah, there's there's kind of two uh, sides to to Spectre. There's the the rundown version which we see later, and this the. The, the the polished the clean the painted version. Um, which which did you shoot first? We shot this
1: version first. We shot the nice version. <laughs> nice I meaning. Doesn't that look nice? <laughs> Everybody's so happy. <laughs> I enjoyed this sequence. It was fun to. Uh, Loudon's one of those guys that's got a smile that again sort of embodies Spectre. It's like. Is it how ha- is he is, is it pleasant or does he want to kill you? You know, it's like it's got that good double-edged quality to it.
0: It's kind of like the town out of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, now after the pod people, all
1: always uh, a good inspiration.
3: No one's ever left. How are you gonna make it without your shoes?
2: Well, I suspect it will hurt a lot. Now I'm sorry, but.
0: Oh, goodbye it's interesting when uh when spielberg uh was toying with the the idea of doing this movie uh that jack nicholson was his he had in mind for uh for ed bloom as the older man what, what do you think about that idea because obviously you have worked with jack
1: before. yeah well, i talked to jack about it and that the thing was with this is you know there were so many different ways to do it and i think the thing with the 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 the, the the challenge on this film was always well how do you do the older younger aspect of it and you know with him it would have probably been done in a different way but you know it's hard you know the dual casting thing it was just so important to it and i don't think the movie really could have been at least from my perspective made without getting the right combination of who these people were so that's that's again it was the biggest challenge on the film to, to me was to find that that duality with the, the characters.
2: These woods would become my graveyard.
0: And interestingly enough, this is a moment everybody everybody calls Burton-esque. To, to have the trees stop him from uh, leaving space.
1: I, I think this is more, isn't this the spooky trees have been in uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Wizard of Oz and then every other Cheese ball fantasy from there on in, so you know, it's like <laughs> just keeping the tradition alive.
2: This wasn't the end of my life, this isn't how I died.
0: So let's talk about Colleen Atwood because she's a costume designer you've worked with on on countless occasions. How, how does how does she sort of feed into into the story?
1: Well, when we first discuss things, I think we both initially agree that the actor should be clothed. You know, uh, we've yet to make a porno movie, so uh you know we, we 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 start there and then and then you know we just try to be and you know, she's again very intuitive and tries to just service what the film is and what the characters are and you know again we have a obvious mix of more realistic things like this and then the, the fantasy and she's just uh she's it's the same way i treat like her or Danny the music or the production design is that you treat them like characters and you just try to accentuate whatever it is that the film is really you're
3: lucky to get four words
0: struck me that this is the first film of yours that you've kind of dealt with real people normal people in inverted commas because even though ed wood was based on yeah, you know true true you know historical characters real people they
1: weren't really real they were a bit they were sort of normal and a bit weird yeah well this is i mean this did feel slightly different to me i mean i always treat characters as real no matter how outlandish they are but i did acknowledge the fact that it was a more of a subtlety to this and and uh, so therefore i guess you could say reality that uh that i hadn't quite ever dealt with before but I, I enjoyed that about it, and uh, you know I always enjoy shooting uncomfortable dinner sequences. I mean that that uh, uh, has always been something <laughs> that I've remembered since childhood.
0: Where did you find Marion? Um,
1: Marion, yeah, well she's great because uh, I just needed somebody who, you know, because since she's the sort of link between the father and the son. Uh, who just had a certain openness to her, uh, and because in the script and all, the son had moved to France. I had met a few French actresses, and and they they're, they're very a lot of very cerebral type of people, and 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 I I just needed somebody who just again, it's almost like a silent movie actress who would just look at her and had an openness about her, and uh, she she was great. I mean, she she really, again, it was able to convey a lot without because it's film and it's a visual medium you want those people that just can give you a look like this and and and, and you sense that their openness and and uh, uh i really i love working with her
3: me young boy with that kind of power wasn't three weeks later when the crow came back to me in a dream and said your dad is gonna die
0: and albert's performance here is fantastic the way he kind of flirts with her
1: well albert's you know albert is is fantastic and again i mean he's doing most of his scenes in bed you know and and again not that easy to just convey stuff that that and have a spirit and so you're kind of you you know you're in bed and you're you're kind of having to downplay it and still kind of come through on a strong way and uh you know but that's that's albert he's he's got that uh in his real life, he's got it uh, in his performances, and uh, you know he, he's a real pleasure. Real pleasure to work with.
0: And how did you find the restraints of, of shooting so many scenes in one room with one character in, in,
1: in bed? Yeah, well, we would, jo- you know, it's like, well, shall I do this one on my side, or shall I, you know, how about if I have maybe listen, how how about instead of one pillow, I got two pillows propping up my bed, you know, it was like, you know, how do we find the the differences of of uh, the, the angles in bed? Uh, but uh, you know, that's the great thing though about somebody who's not who's just a strong actor they're not overly concerned about that they just kind of do it and give each thing a subtlety and a a difference you know even lying in bed because it's literally you're just leaving
0: the camera on these people and letting them act, aren't you and it's
1: well, yeah, you know, and and uh, like I said, we would try uh, to to find the different <laughs> sort of things. But again, it it didn't require, it wanted it to be simple and and not overly flashy and just be kind of let the actors uh, do their thing.
3: Mother was never supposed to marry me. She was engaged to somebody else. I know. Coming up, my that's
0: your favorite line of the entire film.
3: Uh, probably just as well. You would have told it wrong anyway all the facts not of the flavor
2: oh so this is a tall tale
3: well it's not a short one
0: calloway circus was that a reference to camp
1: <laughs> well that was in the script uh, so you'd have to ask john that but i mean yeah sure it's not a bad reference at all um you know this was fun to do this you know this this act was my favorite. We went to northern Florida to look at circus acts, and out of the whole day of looking at acts, this was the one that impressed me the most, uh, the, the suicidal cat, because you just know a cat doesn't want to do this. You know, it's like, there's no way in a million years that a cat wants to do that. So out of all the death-defying acts, that was the most impressive to me. Now, you don't like circuses, do you, they, they... Now, I'm always amazed at why uh, I'm somewhat drawn to the imagery, but I've always hated the circus, and uh, I've never enjoyed going. I'm afraid of clowns, as I think most people are. And uh, so, uh, but I think it's just, I started to think about it, and I thought that it's probably more to do with that sort of weird dysfunctional family. Because actual fact, these old circuses are kind of families put together real families and sort of extended families and uh it's like what i enjoyed about ed wood i do like that kind of weird dysfunctional family atmosphere and i think that's what always sort of drew me to the circus imagery and
0: uh casting danny who you obviously work with on mars attacks and and batman returns um why did you instantly think of him because didn't you draw a little sketch of of the ringmaster and send it to him
1: yeah, well, I do that with Danny because I know he, he gets into it and he it gives him something. I mean, not all, everybody that I would send a sketch to could really relate to it or what, but he he's so great. And, uh, you know, I think John even, you know, when he was writing at it, that was probably thinking of Danny in mind. So it was just such a pleasure to work because he is he was like in the middle of shooting and between takes. He was entertaining the crowd and he was definitely the ringmaster. He definitely uh, kept everybody going. And because Danny is an actor, director, producer, he gets the whole thing. So he he knows what he's doing, and he's a real good spirit on the set.
0: And it seems like a role he was born to play.
1: (laughs) Well, also, too, you know, it was a... He got the opportunity. I, I think I, I called him and I said, Danny, do you want to do this and come out to Alabama and, you know, be, stand naked with a stick in your mouth out in the middle of uh, the forest? And, you know, he's one of the few people that would just quick understand that immediately.
0: And who's this uh, the strong colossus who isn't very you know, tall? He's
1: a fire, you know, he's a fire eater, sword swallower. He's, you know, an actual circus performer. So, you know, we, it was, we were lucky and it was fun to kind of work with all these people that actually do this for a living. So That's Deep Roy, isn't it? Who's, uh, wasn't he in Planet of the Apes? Yes. He played a multi-talented Deep. He played both a young girl ape and a young boy ape. So yes. (laughs) He's, He's always fun to work
0: with. So these are just you, you just went around all the circuses in Florida and just picked.
1: Well this is actually mainly as a family. Uh, they the, the, the father, the mother, the daughters, the son are all part. The dad's the ringmaster does the rides of the unicycle. the mom does the dog act, the daughter is trapeze artist, the son rides in the motorcycle cage. It's incredible. It's like there's still a family business.
0: So this is the first time we've seen Alison Lohman. Um, where did you find her? Because she's just absolutely perfect for
1: I know. I was so I mean, you, you know, unlike the Ewan and Albert casting, thought of Jessica first just because she's great and always thought she's just again that somebody who's able to find emotional, simple emotional truth and things. So it was kind of going out on a limb. But then when Alison came up, it was just so perfect. It was like uh again she's like a silent movie i mean here somebody just standing still for a minute basically and is able to convey something and get that fairy tale quality uh which again not everybody can do and she was just great and she was definitely somebody who was shooting just little snippets here and there all over the place but again each time got it and again got the 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 reality and the fairy tale aspect of it and the silent movie quality of it and uh she's great
0: Because Jessica and, and Allison, they, the role of Sandra is probably the, the most difficult role in the film because there's not a huge amount of dialogue.
1: Now they both had to do things very quickly and simply. And again, since you're getting just fragments of these people's lives, you're not seeing everything, you know? You're not getting, like, the full range. And for an actress like Jessica and, I think, Allison, that, you know, that like to really sink their teeth into something this wasn't a case where they could do that so it was almost kind of like a shorthand that they both had to get uh, to kind of make something come across so I think that was probably the biggest challenge for them was to do that. And
0: Ewan's about to embark on his uh, circus odyssey Um, I mean how how long did you spend shooting the the circus sequences because you you seem to put him through the ringer quite a bit in this.
1: Yeah, well, we even we cut out a few things. There's uh, him chasing a pig through an arcade, which didn't make it into the film. A uh, couple other s- sequences where uh, we put him through, through the ring. <laughs> there was a series where every day he was questioning which animal was he going to be attacked. You know, when animals attack a uh, couple of weeks, he had... Uh, so he'd gone through the joy of winning every sporting event, and so he now had to suffer the... When animals attack sequences.
2: Depressed.
1: But it is what we
0: were talking about earlier: is it's his ability to just throw himself into the role,
1: um, and 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 just go with it, essentially, isn't it? Yeah. No. I mean, when the elephant took a dump, which wasn't really planned, he just kept going. I think a lot of people would have run uh, screaming out of the elephant pen, but. Uh, he kept his look of love all throughout. But you know, if you shoot long enough, it's bound to happen, I'll tell you right now. It's not like you have to wait days for that to happen. Then that's not a, a CGI effect. No, we, uh, no.
2: Blue dress? Yeah. I, I know her uncle. Friends of the family. Who is she? Where does she live? So,
0: how, how, how long did you shoot uh for the circus scenes then?
1: Well, it was on and off. I mean, we got chased away a couple of times because of a. we had to actually leave the tent one day because the tent almost blew over. There was a lot of tornado watches. And uh, and in fact, we got flooded out too. Uh, the circus. Uh, uh, I have several pictures of the circus, like five feet underwater, uh, you know, so we, we, we it was a couple of weeks on and off, you know, because of uh, because of those weather problems.
0: And in terms of the, the the look and design of of the circus itself was that based on it is that a, is this a real tent that you you borrowed you didn't
1: yeah i mean i was i i wanted the the red and white you know I wanted the sort of classic circus look and there's not a lot of the red and white striped tents around so uh it was a mixture of things you know we we found a tent we sort of aged it added to it and and uh found just the right tried to find the right level of it to to to, to get it i mean they, they They exist, but there's not that many of them around anymore.
2: Every month you work for me, I'll tell you one thing about her. That's my final offer.
0: Did Danny do a lot of improv with his his character?
2: There wasn't a lot. I
1: think he kept, I mean, again, the script was pretty, pretty there, so... You know, Danny's somebody who's always kind of doing something a little extra, but I think we we, we pretty much kept to the script on this one.
3: I did everything Mr. Callaway asked. I'd go three days without stopping to eat and four days without sleeping. The only thing that kept me going was the promise of meeting the girl who would be my wife. That's the way
2: it's
0: gonna be. Now you and somebody who, who probably likes to suffer for his art. Did he? Uh, did you really stink him in a cage with a lion?
1: Oh yeah. Now he got the whole full routine, you know. And uh, this one actually, I think, was his most difficult one. Well, this sequence, giving uh, the big guy a bath, was a late addition as well because he had a lot of sort of animal cleaning cages that got a little redundant. So sort of met this amazing guy and uh, decided you know that, that just to give it another flavor um, but you know all this stuff with the animals and he just keeps going <laughs> he's it's like the energizer Every bunny famous
3: for tell me something new about the woman of my dreams hey,
1: enjoy yourselves, enjoy yourselves.
2: she's going to college
0: one well, assumes uh, you didn't fire him out of the he uh, wasn't that method that he didn't fire him out of the cannonball tube
1: there. No, we got the uh, the guy, the, you know, there's one guy or a couple guys that still do it. Again, it was important to get real people doing that. So often, like, people go, well, let's just CG the guy in or whatever. It was fun to kind of work with these people that still do that stuff, still get shot out of a cannon, still ride their bike inside the cage of death.
3: That time had come. I couldn't wait any longer.
1: And here we have uh,
0: Danny as the werewolf. I mean, what's so great about this one is that you've taken lots of kind of archetypal fairy tale uh, characters from mythology and just sort of given them an extra little twist.
1: The amazing thing about working with wolves is that they really do have this dynamic that we actually tried to get in this, where, you know, one second they're kind of like big dogs and then in one... Split second, they just go to this primal, frightening, uh, amazing presence that's just uh, incredible to be around. I mean, they're they're incredibly beautiful creatures, and uh, again, they they go from one thing to another in just a split second. is is quite amazing. I love the idea of the gun in the clown's stomach. Yeah, well, you know, I think that that's when you when you see clowns, you're always kind of wondering something's inside there that's <laughs> that's it's it's just that that sort of the duality of clowns the scary nature of them did the wolf
0: have a name
1: well there are several wolves uh <laughs> It was
3: that night I discovered the most things you consider evil or wicked are simply lonely and lacking in social nice.
1: a so good you in this, yeah, and again, you know it's quite terrifying being in there with a with a wolf uh, so you know he just he just kind of keeps going and it, like I said, sometimes I think the hardest thing to do is not get distracted by this stuff and and he just kept his focus. But nothing was as frightening, I think, for him as this.
0: Was this one take?
1: <laughs> no, this wasn't one take. And uh, actually, our dolly grip—we—we—he never heard the end of it because on one take, he just sort of—he just slowed down when it came to Danny's ass, and it was like he just—it's like he never. We never let him hear the end of that one. He just sort of lovingly was exploring Danny's rear end, and uh, we had him speed it up after that.
0: So Danny didn't require a stunt double for this? A new no, double no, he this was into
1: bit. it, and uh, again, like, we were lucky to shoot this because the next day it was like five feet underwater, this whole
2: place. There's only one I want. Her name is Sandra Templeton. She goes to Auburn. Semester's almost over, so you better hurry. Thank
1: you. A lot of people thought that we sort of uh, modeled the character on the, on Fellini or or, or something, and, and there was a slight inspiration for that with the character. But then somebody also brought up, and it was more subconscious. But then I saw it; and it was true that Danny was looked like that uh, porno star Ron Jeremy. So he was a did sort of turn out to be a weird combination of Fellini and Ron Jeremy. It's true.
0: So obviously this is Ewan about to be very romantic and try to woo the woman he's he's going to spend the rest of his life with. Um, it's it's certainly the most romantic film you've ever made. Um, does that reflect a, a growing contentment in in your heart, or were you just following the script?
1: Well, I, I enjoyed the romantic nature of it, and I think it's—I don't know if I could relate it to my own life in that way, really. I think, it, but it's a—it's a wonderful idea. I think we all want that in a certain way, and it's—it's. It's, I sort of enjoyed the just completely unabashed just. Purity of that sentiment because it's a beautiful sentiment and it's 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 uh, it's something that I think is is such such a great thing to aspire to and I I did love that I found it quite funny too I mean there was something about it that you know it's like you just wish you could be like that
2: because I'm destined to marry you
1: and what what was the look that you and
0: uh, you and Philip. well, did here because well,
1: Philippe and I just, you know, we tried to give each of these sequences a, a flavor, especially when we were going back in time. And, you know, we just wanted to, to feel brighter and more romantic and have that sort of, again, that sort of optimistic, romantic, overly optimistic, overly romantic uh, a feeling to it. So we did, we did try to approach each of these sequences and give it slightly different flavor, but this one required that.
0: See, I'm actually engaged to a boy from Ashton, Don Price. He's a few years older than you.
2: He finds out the truth.
1: Also, too, you know, when we did these sequences, uh, as I was saying before, it's like it was important to kind of uh make things as real as possible and as live as possible so like when we did the flowers as opposed to doing them cg our great greensman spent the weekend just putting the flowers in the field so that you could actually stand in a field of flowers now alice could look at that see it all and i just think that it just made it that much more kept that sort of romantic flavor just made it much more real and made it much more present and made it much more like i said it sort of helps everybody when you can actually be there and see it all live
3: but only a fool will continue truth is i've always been a fool
2: i
0: mean the the look is very kind of yellow and warm is that meant to reflect that the, the daffodils the, the yellowness of the daffodils or
1: yeah, I mean yellow isn't necessarily my favorite color, but uh it started to grow on me a little bit. And again that's a sunny romantic quality.
0: And that's Daniel Wallace looking like Kevin Costner from J F K.
1: All well, these subconscious references. No, we didn't think of him. Uh, uh, although I'm sure, I don't know. He might, uh, he might, li- he might like that uh, that reference. But that no, was nice to put him in, in, in into it because, again, it just makes it that much more personal. And uh, uh, he looks like a professor.
0: <laughs> so the 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 daffodil moment that is coming up. Um, how many thousands of daffodils did?
1: And like I said, we spent the weekend, uh, the guys spent the weekend uh, planting and replanting. But again, it was so important to do it this way. Uh, it's just, I, I don't care what anybody says, you know, if this were all added in later, you'd feel it. It gives you something to, to shoot, gives it a focus and, and uh, that you wouldn't have if it were, you know, you were in a blue screen room.
2: You don't even know me. I'll have the rest of my life to find out.
0: Do you think there's a there's a danger in Hollywood at the moment that people are just so keen to do everything CG and and nothing practical?
2: Well, I
1: think some things it obviously works for. I mean, you know, you can't do certain things without it. But at the same time, people do rely too much on it. I think, and and I will always take the approach if if you can do it without doing that than to do it. I mean, I've also enjoyed using it, so, but you just try to mix it up and use it to, to, so you don't get lazy, you know? I mean, we had the scene coming up with this scene with the car and the tree. Everybody kept saying, well, let's just put that in later. But, you know, it was important for us to hang a car and put it up in the tree. It just, even though it's for only a moment, it's it's something that uh, I think, People can tell, even if they can't tell. Subconsciously, you can tell.
0: Was that a real issue of Playboy that he was reading on the uh, on the toilet? Or well, did... sure,
1: of course. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Playboy figures into... It's, a, it's an iconic image that has gotten a lot of us through many a lonely year.
0: Did you designed the tie.
1: <laughs> no, but Colleen found that tie and just had a sort of a slight uh, nightmare swirl to it, to which I, you know, I always kind of it's a sort of a design element that I just find appealing. So I uh, sort of out of the rack of ties, sort of picked that one. And where was this college? In Montgomery, Huntington College. Uh, it was, you know, we we had to shoot everything in the in the area because again we had so many different locations we couldn't really travel that far so everything had to be in a real close area because we were actually sometimes moving two three times a day
0: and was this a real uh house or was this a set that you built
1: we found a real house and then um, we built a little extra onto it um so just to kind of give it a slight eccentricity it was important to kind of Again, match the kind of Ed Bloom character, and kind of find a house that would have the slight eccentricity that that, that he had. So, again, it was both, which was good because it gave it a you know reality. It sort of sat up on the hill in the in the town, kind of overlooked the place, and uh, just felt very much like the Ed Bloom character.
3: It finally caught up with me, and it seems that while my heart belonged to Sandra. The rest of my body. And we're about
0: to embark on um,
1: you and winning the war. Yeah, the realistic war sequences. Yeah, I mean, that's what people like. Go, well, this wasn't which war, you know. People looking for historical accuracy, uh, you know, will be disappointed, I think.
3: A hitch in the army was up to three years at that point. And having waited three years... just And
0: this was his compensation for um, the... Um, for
1: the animal, yeah, exactly. It actually worked out for him because he'd get to do the sport, then he had to do that, you know, suffer that, then he got to do this. So, you know, he, he got a good juxtaposition of uh, of sequences.
0: But wasn't this this the war's mission, you know, man on the mission stuff, uh, a late addition to the script?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really just about meeting the girls and uh, Ewan and I, he had mentioned the fact like, well, shouldn't he be doing something? So really late edition, we kind of came up with the, uh, the, the, the stealing of the plans and the mission just to give it a little, just give it a little even phony, but just give him something to do, um, which, which was actually really fun to do.
0: And and the idea behind this
1: Well, that was there and I was just very lucky to meet Wang the ventriloquist dummy. Uh, in fact, he's sitting in my home right now. Uh, I I take him with me actually uh, everywhere I go because I get to practice my ventriloquism and talking to my real one my one of my best friends really.
0: And and the crowd doesn't look totally Korean.
1: Well, we rounded up pretty much every, you know, Alabama isn't really known too much, I don't think, for its Asian population. Um, so we were lucky to, you know, get people that came from miles around. But uh, I think the further back it gets, yeah, the less it gets.
0: And let's talk about the twins, because they're an amazing looking uh, couple. I I
1: worked with them on Ed Wood just uh, they were like extras on on in Ed Wood and I just always remembered them and uh so uh it required twins and uh th- they were the only Asian twins that I knew so uh uh it was nice to see them again and work with them again
0: and, and how how did this effect
1: work well again it was a combination of uh a little bit of Digital compositing, a little bit of uh, putting them close together, uh, the mixture of things. And
0: you said to me before that people you know, have been complaining about the historical accuracy and the fact they're singing American songs to uh, to K- the Korean troops.
1: Yeah, and speaking in Cantonese actually. So yeah. We, 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 it's the full range but as I said, it was like to me, it, since it's about somebody's memory and sort of fabrication and stories where it's all mixed together uh, it seemed accurate that way
0: Now this sequence um, I, I found hysterical um, again, was it was this a kind of budgetary time thing by turning the light off? Or
1: oh yeah, absolutely No, this one we came up really a couple of days before actually so, uh and because we couldn't afford a big fight, uh, the infrared glasses, And but, you know, I, I like doing that. It keeps you alive, keeps you going, and, uh, you know, when you can kind of hit something like this quickly, it's just a lot of fun to do. And cheap. <laughs>
0: So what was the, the the schedule for the for the film then? How how many
1: how many weeks did you shoot? Oh, I don't know, it was about 60 days, 59 days, something like that. It was a lot to do because I said there was a lot of movement. Uh a lot of, we were never in a location for more than a couple of days, really.
0: So is that is that quick for a film of this size? I mean, apes for example, that was
1: yeah, it's it's pretty quick. Um, but I like moving quick. I prefer to move quick just because, again, I think with actors, you know, nobody wants to sit in their trailer for eight hours and come out do a couple of shots. So it's fun to kind of keep moving.
0: And so and actually learned his Cantonese? Yes, here. he did,
1: yeah. He can go into any Chinese restaurant now and... Uh, feel free and all this stuff is not stuff that you learn months ahead i mean he's kind of just doing this learning stuff on a daily basis you know
0: and again you were talking about um each sequence should have a particular look um what was the the inspiration behind this korean
1: well we just you know tried to do a mixture of getting this sort of contrast and in, of a war movie but then also the sort of a bit more with the color boosting it a little bit so that it it, it had a mixture of both of the kind of the grittiness of the war kind of thing but also a slight technicolory kind of quality too so we just sort of t- take a lot of it based on magazine photos of those eras and build it from there
2: Bob Hope? The idea. <laughs>
0: And I mean, how how did you find you in, as an actor? Is he somebody who likes to rehearse a lot? Is he is he good at improv? Yeah, you know, was he one take, two takes, ten takes? I mean,
1: he's good at improv, I think. I mean, I my impression, although I'm sure it differs from film to film for him, but my impression of him is that he doesn't like to over rehearse and that he likes to kind of get it and build up, kind of like an athlete, like you know, for your performance on camera. So you know, he likes to I think just build up to that moment and he's very good at improv and I think he likes to do a certain amount of takes but not overdo it it's, I, I kind of feel the same way I think you know if you do like more than five or six you start to explore it and it's fun but then it's like well come on already you know so I, I, I sort of felt he was in a similar mode that way
0: And what about Albert?
1: Same thing. I think Albert likes to explore. He likes to do a certain amount of takes, but not overdo it. Because uh, I think both of these guys like to keep the freshness of their performance. You know, they like to get it, they like to explore it, but they don't want to beat a dead horse.
0: Do you tend to shoot rehearsals, for example, just in case you can capture?
1: Yeah, I, I would shoot a rehearsal, what I would call a rehearsal. Because the the biggest problem would be is that in a rehearsal, you see something that then they can't quite get at again. And uh, so I'd much rather do that uh, than than, uh, like overly rehearse it. Some people like it. So you just, again, try to be sensitive to the actor and and see what they like to do. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I know better than to argue romance with a French woman.
0: Just going back to the uh, the circus uh, sequence where time stands still. How did you achieve that? Was that is that a blue screen shot?
1: Well, again, we had to be very simple with that. Uh, it was a mixture of things. I mean, a lot of time, you know, you can do it by doing setting up six to eight, you know, all these cameras, but we didn't again have that opportunity so it was a combination of actually just having people stand still and then registering you know just registering them and adding a few elements yeah a couple of blue screen elements but it was pretty much live I mean we pretty much did they were all standing there and we were moving through that and uh, we did a couple of passes one with everybody in there one with everybody out but again we did it as, as simply as we could partially because we had to The thing that I enjoyed about that, too, was it was using an effect for an emotional reason. And that's why I thought it was fine to do it simply, because it was doing an effect to achieve something emotional as opposed to something else. So that made it all right to do it simple. Crazy. You're
2: not. And I think you should talk to him.
0: Off. What's he watching on T V? Is that a little commercial that you you, you made or?
1: No, it was a commercial that uh I didn't go to the Alabama premiere but people that were there said that That commercial got the biggest response in the whole film, and I thought, oh my god, I'm glad I wasn't there because if this, that gets the biggest response in the film, there's something wrong with the film. but no it's because it was a local commercial that uh, that I think uh, people identified with
3: But the real story is how I got
1: When I mean, you made a real smart choice
0: in letting the real be real and yet in the fantasy, everything sort of heightened, but it still has human proportions. Can you just explain your your thinking about those two sort of balancing up the the real and the fantasy?
1: Yeah, it was important and we all talked about it at the beginning, is not like you know, because it takes place in the south, there's this danger of it becoming like let's sit on the back porch and drink a mint julep and you know, now we're gonna go into a story. And because the story is about the sort of blending and, and the, the melding and the mutating of, you know, what's real and not real, it was important to kind of have that represented in in the visual quality of the film. So even though, like you said, there's reality and fantasy, tried to kind of blur the lines a little bit because that's, again, what the story is about.
3: Well, he shouldn't have started with a question because people want to answer questions. He should have Uh,
0: This is, I think, the 10th time you've worked with with Danny Elfman uh, as composer. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about that relationship and, and at which stage do you bring him in and and show the film? I mean, sometimes he comes on set, sometimes you just show it to him after. How did it work in, in the case of Big
1: Fish? Well, he didn't make it down south this time, but uh, yeah, sometimes I'll, he'll come onto the set and just take a look, but he doesn't like to get too early into it, he likes to get into it early, but more closer to when he's got to do it. Uh, because I think that that's just the way he is, and and for me as well, I, because the tone is often a strange one. It's not something that it's easy to describe, even though we have a shorthand. I'd much rather just show him the film and then you know take it from there, because that's that's where he sees it, and that's where he gets the the feeling of it, and and uh, again, it's closer to when we're doing it. But um, I thought he did a beautiful score. Again, uh, he got to, to, to tackle a lot of different things. But, you know, it, it's an emotional score, but I felt it was a truly emotional score and not what I would call a kind of a phony emotional score. It's so easy to fall into that and get overly emotional, which this is overly emotional, But but I thought he found a good balance
2: between those things. I'm about to have a kid of my own, and it would kill me. If he went through his whole life never understanding me, it will kill you.
0: I mean, at the end of the movie, Will has reconnected with his father in a way that he's he's comfortable with, and he feels he he can move on with his life. And and um, obviously, he's at the end of the film, he has he's a father himself. Um, did did you did you reach a, a place that you were happy with with your father before he passed away?
1: Uh, no, not really. I don't. Uh, but then I kind of think that nobody really does, whether or not you have a close relationship or not so close. I think when it happens, even if you're expecting them, if they're ill or whatever, there's there's a shock to that moment when it happens. That it's always feeling like you probably could have done more, could have been closer, whatever. You know. I think that that that's. I think that might be kind of true with that, anybody that way. So I made an attempt at it and. I got closer than I probably could have, but, you know, I think there's always that sort of feeling that you didn't finally really connect.
2: (laughs) You know better than me what's important.
1: I was just going to ask you about the the fish in in the pool. Well, that was, again, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier about what's real and what's not real. So it doesn't quite feel like it's turning on and off a faucet. I just, I, and it was one of those things where people thought, well, maybe we should just cut out of the film. But I always liked it because it, it, it's, it's again, it's probably the most real looking. And then we add another element of like, what's real and what's not real. And I just also, I, there's something about the depths, and and it's like I remember being a ex pool cleaner myself. You know you're kind of sitting there doing something and then you kind of see something and it, it's like it's like your subconscious it's so i always treat it like it was sort of will's kind of subconscious sort of building up inside and kind of letting out a bit and but it was the oddest thing because it was a mix of really the real and the unreal kind of in one moment together
0: and here we have the hand in because in the script uh he's a sh- screwdriver salesman isn't
1: he yeah uh But it sort of came up with this one just because it felt more like represented, again, the Ed Bloom character. And I just, I always remember those products in like the 60s and 70s, like from Ronco. In America, there's these companies that always had like these weird kind of uh, pocket fishermen that could turn into a set of silverware and also a fishing gear, you know, and like these weird kind of products that were kind of both novelty and and also useful utensils so it seemed to just very much be like kind of thing that this guy might uh, sell
0: and it does seem very useful
1: yeah even though i still don't know what it really does but
0: (laughs) (laughs) and now we're into the sort of 70s with the cyburns and the cool car and um great rock music on, on the soundtrack
1: yeah i don't get a chance too much to do that so you know it's fun to pick out a cool car and the charger seemed again appropriate red charger seemed appropriate for him and uh i know ewan's into cars so we spent a little time analyzing this one <laughs> yeah big engine you know you, it's nothing like those cars when you turn the engine and just the sound it's they're fantastic
0: And just talk a little bit about this whole bank sequence.
1: And Steve's got a nice pair of sideburns himself there. Well, I just love this character because going from a poet to a bank robber, you you know, and kind of sort of just not doing, just kind of floating through life and then becoming very successful by the end of it, it, it very much mirrors the life of a film director, really. You know, you kind of... I just, again, I always felt very close to this character in a weird way because I feel very similar to his his uh, life pattern, basically.
0: But he goes on to be very successful in Wall Street. Oh.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, life... Uh, Again, when I look back on my own life and see where I come from and where you get lucky enough to end up, it it it's very much mirrors that some ways. So even though I don't think there's ever been a, a
0: bank robbery in a Scorsese movie, this is the feel of the sequence.
1: Well yeah, we did, you know, handheld and kind of tried to give it a certain kind of energy the kind of, you know, uh the kind of that's why we did the cam shot, you know, even though before those sort of little Security cams were up there to kind of give it that that the flavor of of, of that kind of thing, and and also too, it was fun, you know, because we don't have a lot of time to shoot these things, so you know, just to kind of keep the energy going and keep the, it's kind of Don Knotts gone bad kind of, uh, it's like if Barney Fife had got on the wrong side of the law type of a situation. I'm sorry. So would this have been what a, a day shoot? Less than that? Less than that. Yeah, it was less than a day. It was like three quarters of a day, maybe. And this, the location? Yeah, it picked the town, and and again, you know, the town fulfilled many purposes. So, you know, I think then we went outside and had to do a couple other drive-by things, and we were, again, mixing up our days, sometimes moving two, three times a day. This was an improv. You know, this is what was fun. I mean, we didn't have time to rehearse. This is just Steve and Ewan running out, and each time was just so great. I mean, I actually shot this a couple of times because it was so much fun to watch them run out of the, of the of the building. But you know, both you and both Steve and Ewan are excellent at, at, at improv and and. And again, getting a kind of a funny tone because when Steve comes out of there, it's actually it's actually kind of scary. You don't know if you're going to shoot somebody, but you know he's able to get that mixture of of comic and slightly scary at the same time. And this sense of moving
0: from location to location to location, doing you know, almost like little genre films on each day, kind of harks back to Pee-wee's Big Adventure.
1: Yeah, no, I loved doing that. I loved, you know, not since Pee-wee's did I really uh, have that sort of opportunity. Oftentimes on these big movies where you're lots of special effects and all, you don't get that opportunity. And uh, this was a hard shoot, but it made it so much more fun. And And like I said, all the actors, I was lucky because I wasn't dealing with too many, like, overly method types that were, like, questioning everything. They kind of just went along with everything, which made it actually the only way it could have been done this way.
0: Steve you're he seems like he should be in every one of your movies. Well, I, I would love him to be.
3: <laughs> all this was just beginning.
1: I want a hand matic That looks fantastic. Yeah, a few a little spare cash, a hand matic He's all set.
3: Was my fee is his career advisor. It was enough to buy my wife a proper house with a wide picket fence. for that, it was all the riches a man could ever want.
0: So this scene in the in the bathtub between uh, Albert and Jessica again was was a late addition. It was one of the few things that you and John added to the script.
1: Yeah, it sort of came from a conversation with Jessica where I realized that there was no real moment just between them, and because you know it's kind of such a shorthand, uh, we felt like we needed some little moment between them to really just see their relationship and. Uh, And then John just wrote this very quickly. And I just thought it was so beautiful because it was so simple and it sort of says a lot without really saying anything. And, uh, again, because you're not seeing the really their lives laid out and because like Jessica, they don't really have a whole lot to sink their teeth into. It's almost like a real Zen kind of a haiku kind of like trying to get at something very, very simply. And, uh, I just thought, you know, with the water and everything, it just had the themes and the sort of girl in the river mermaid quality to it. And, uh, I mean, the most difficult thing about it was getting the right size tub. We actually tried like, they made like three different size tubs. One was so big, it looked like two little kids in a tub and one was too small. So it was like this wrestling in a tub. And so, you know, we spent time trying to get the right feeling of it, but, uh, again we didn't have a lot of time to do it and uh two actors able to get at something real quick and simple
0: so how how many takes would you have done of that
1: mm-hmm. maybe 5 6
0: so william here is going to visit jenny um and in the book the character of jenny is 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 qu- quite different i mean edward and her have an affair um it's a it's a much the the power is is very different to it is in the movie um and in in the movie it's, it becomes about william it becomes the the catalyst for him to to find his kind of inner peace with his father
1: um wh- why was that changed well, it just seemed important, the fact that, you know, because it's about what's true and what's not true, and, you know, there's all this sort of fantasy about the stories, that the first thing that the son would think is that the father is having an affair with somebody. And so throughout all the fantasy stuff, I actually kind of liked the idea that that was true, that he wasn't, and that the fact is that he did have this love of his life, and that he was true to that, so throughout all of the the the, the lies and falsehoods that some of it was real, and some of the, those things were true and I think that 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 as were some of the characters that are in the stories, so those aspects became kind of important to me because it 's easy to see somebody having an affair you know and, and telling stories to kind of cover that up but there it kind of just made the balance more correct to me to to, to have
2: that not be the case. I was expecting to dance around this for another half hour. I've seen him with women. Uh, he flirts. He always has. And on some level, I just uh, presumed that he was cheating on my mom. I just never had proof.
0: Can you talk about the the use of uh, water in the film, the symbolic use of water and?
1: well it symbolizes so many things in one you know it's like the journey of life the constantly moving aspect of life the the mystery of it in terms of the depths you, you can see through but you can't see everything uh uh in in many great like mythologies and folk tales it it symbolizes that and and uh so it's just a a way to 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 put an image to to the mysteries of life basically
2: Talked about. I'm just trying to reconcile the two.
3: The first thing you have to understand
2: is that your father never meant to end up here, yet he did. Twice.
0: The bathtub scene is perhaps the most intimate moment in the entire film, and it's such the, the the performances that Albert and Jessica give. It's just tremendous because, as you say, there's there's not a lot of dialogue and it's all tactile. It's all in the eyes. um Just just talk about their performance in that in that particular moment.
1: Well, it's something I've always liked in films where you know it's always the biggest argument you'll have with the studio is is like you know well it's not on the page or it's not here or that and the thing that I always find is what's between the lines. It's a look that two people will give each other. Uh, they may be saying something but then You want to juxtapose that against something that the, the look that they give with each other and again because it's a shorthand You're trying to get a, a sense of these two people without really seeing it all uh, That tells you more in a shorter period of time than any amounts of dialogue or some amount of dialogue will, will sort of takes away from that so um that's why i felt so like strong and pure about that scene and it's something that it's funny that you have to fight against all the time
0: how did you do the sequence with with you and in the car and and the woman the the mermaid swimming by was that blue screen or...
1: well we shot in a kind of a, a dry stage you know we kind of pumped it full of smoke. Again, we tried to do all of these effects as simply as possible. So it was a, it was a double pass, you know, in, in, in the stage and then in a swimming pool. And so it was just a, a, a mixture of those things. Again, always trying to do it as simply as possible. Same thing with the car, or the tree, as I said, you know, put a real car in the tree, even for two shots, but you know, it, it, I, I still think you can tell the difference.
0: I mean, one one of the things the film talks about is what's real, what isn't real, and the notion that the exaggerated, that the tall tale is, is preferable to reality in some cases. Um, what well, I mean, what's your philosophy on that? Do you, do you agree?
1: Well, I never see the two as being excluded. I mean, I'm always amazed by certain literal-minded people where they, well, what's real, what's not real, and, you know, you look at life every day, and you see strange things that... I mean, who would have thought Arnold Schwarzenegger would be governor of California? You know, is that real? Is that not real? Reality is such a funny word. And that's what I always loved about folk tales and fairy tales. It's like you can find more reality in those if it speaks to you on an emotional level than certain, you know, you turn on the news and it's like, it seems like co- completely surreal and unreal. So, I've always thought that life was obviously a mixture of those things together, and that's what attracted me to this story.
2: To describe it. That's all he needed. He saw them on the dream. So first he bought the farms, then he bought the houses, and then he bought the stores. Whatever he bought, the people were not asked to leave or pay rent or anything. They were just asked to keep doing as they were doing, In that way, you can make sure the town would never die.
0: People have been talking about this film as a departure for you, which always struck me as being a bit odd because it 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 meant that they they hadn't watched your previous films properly and they hadn't realised that you have you had so many emotional moments that that Johnny Depp, Bella Lugosi, Ed, in Ed Wood, in Edward Scissorhands, not before Christmas, Pee Wee. I mean, there's so many tender moments. Were you were you surprised that people reacted so strongly to this and that it was a departure?
1: Well, I, I mean, I you know, I, it always amazes me because it's 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 like you, you know, I think people. Yeah, because I've always felt, it's like the same thing about reality and reality, I mean, I always treat every character as if it's real for me, you know, because it's, uh, that's how I feel about it, so. But, you know, a lot of people, that's the problem, is they sort of dismiss things, and they don't remember from one day to the next, or I'm sure they have other things to think about, but yeah, it does always kind of surprise me.
2: Now let me get this straight. You buy this one from me, but I'll stay in it. You'll own the house, but it'll still be mine. I'll be here, and you'll come go, as you please, to one
0: place. Uh, I saw one interview in which uh, a journalist said to you that you couldn't tell a story, that your films were just about the visuals. And it seems that people don't understand that we're talking about cinema, and cinema is, is a visual medium.
1: Well, yeah, as I've said, you know... If it were a radio program maybe but that's not just one person i mean that's been my whole career people have said that and it's just again it's such a funny dismissal because i grew up on movies you know watching them not with my eyes closed and just listening to them that's what the medium is so and there's many different ways to sort of present things so to me the more different ways you can present something the better so i always thought that was a pretty narrow minded way of looking at things
0: and the thing is even if it even if it was a departure, it was almost like people didn't want you to do something different
1: well, yeah, but some people just don't want you to do anything you <laughs> know I think that's what it's come down to for me and then I, I wish they'd just say, why don't you just stop doing things? you know it's like uh then why do you? Why don't you just not come and talk to me? You know what I mean. Why not write about the weather or something else? Just go do something else and leave me alone.
2: I see. Well, thank you for your time. It stuck. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I, I... It's okay. Just leave it. No. I, I'll... Please, just go. B- go.
0: Let's talk about Helena Mom's and uh, yeah, and her portrayal great. of Jenny, shall we? Okay.
1: Well, again, between Helena and the young girl, uh, Haley, there was not a lot of over. You know, they met each other. Uh but again, uh it was more about getting sort of a, a presence there, you know, than, than sort of a, a real over rehearsing kind of a thing. And uh you know, I think just when Helena she just enjoyed not having to spend eight hours in makeup. So I mean, that was the big issue I think of her on this. Uh she got to, to, to play a real human being with me for a change. So um But again, it was more of an intuitive thing with all of these people. Nobody, nobody, because again, we were shooting all over the place and out of sequence. So there was no real opportunity to do that either. So it was more of just kind of a spiritual kind of just visual connection.
0: And how many cats do you have running around in this sequence? Well, that's the one
1: thing that, uh, that, you know, when you're dealing with cats, you know, unfortunately for her, it's like she could be given the greatest performance in the world, but, you know, if the cat, you know, I kept going like, I'm sorry, the cat was looking in the wrong direction, or, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm sorry, the cat, you know, giving the Academy Award-winning performance, but, you know... The cat that's tied to the string is like pulling on his string. So uh, that was kind of a nightmare. I think I will try to remember unless I'm doing something that really 100% requires cats to, to not do that anymore.
0: Can you just talk about the finding the locations? Because you've you've got the town, you have the river, you have the swamp. Can you just talk a bit about the locations, Tim?
1: Yeah. Again, we had to find everything within a very short period of movement because moving locations each day. So, like, this location was a pl- place called Jackson Lake, which had river, it had swamp, it's where we built Spectre, it's where, you know, we did some of the... Uh, Girl in the river, you know all of this stuff had to be we really you know they're not necessarily what I would call the most beautiful locations in and of themselves, but it it afforded us a an opportunity to kind of get all of these different kind of things in one one area
0: one thing when you uh you work on the script is they say. Never have voiceover, never have narration, and in here, um, you've got four different voices um, fitting in and out of the story. Was was that difficult to do? I mean, it, it seems to have it seems to have worked very well for this particular movie.
1: Well, yeah, I think the danger is is when you add it later, you know. what I mean, so this was obviously so much a part of it that you know there was really no way around it so it was there in the structure of the script and uh, of the story so I think the danger is in is when you're doing it to try to fix something and try to take care of a certain kind of problem which I think oftentimes you can tell when that's happening and uh, so this you know just was trying to make it work because you knew it was always a part of it
2: as for the girl the common belief is that she'd become a witch
0: now the end of the film um, is very, very emotional, and particularly for for, for men, um, you know, it's be, it's become a big crying film. Um, and I, I I think you said to me before that when you first cut the movie together, you were uncertain about whether it worked or not. That it was whether it was too emotional, it was too sentimental, or wasn't emotional enough. Um, can you just talk about that that process of how you you came to this kind of the final cut of the movie and keeping the balance of the sentiment right.
1: Well, one of the things that I... When I first read the script, since I didn't know the book or anything and I was coming into it cold, that sort of struck me about it was the fact that I didn't really know where it was going. It was a kind of film, it was a kind of thing that snuck up on me, you know? And I I liked that about it, because it didn't follow a normal structure that way. You knew kind of what it was about, but it sort of hit me without knowing it was hitting me in a certain way. So when I first saw the first cut of it, it seemed like it was working that way, but I I couldn't tell because, you know, I was jet lagged and oftentimes when you're jet lagged, you get sort of overly emotional anyway. Uh, I don't know why, but, so I couldn't quite tell if it was working that way, but it seemed to be. uh, And, uh, and that's what made me the most happy about it is that you knew what it was about. You knew kind of where it was going. And yet somehow it still was a little bit of a surprise that way. And, uh, so that was an important balance to try to get, and uh, I did feel good about somewhat, some way, achieving that.
0: I mean, because the, the the end of the film, it, you know, in in the, in lesser hands or different hands, it could have been very very mawkish.
1: Well, we were all very concerned about that anyway. You know, I mean, me, the actors. Uh, So we were all very aware of that at the beginning because it's really, again, it it happens to everybody in life. So I think we just all tried to use that, the reality of those feelings uh, to try to get that balance. And uh, because the fact is, it is emotional and it is potentially mawkish, uh, but everybody was very sensitive to that. And uh, everybody was aware. And again, with good actors, they can find that level of, of of hitting it without going overboard because you know, I I often see films where people are being emotional or saying they have a relationship or this or that. And you just, it's, you know, it's not really true or you don't really believe it. So that was important to this, to just these private moments to get, uh, uh, just again, uh, just, you know, Jessica and Albert, just very, very simple stuff. Uh, but, Very pure and accurate, I thought, as well.
0: Because even though she, I think I said before, she doesn't have very many lines, and, you know, she's an Oscar-winning actress, yet she gives so much from from with just the eyes and a a look and and a smile.
1: Well, I think, you know as I said I think this was difficult for her because she's usually is used to having those big those things where she can really sink her teeth into and I know in discussions with her it was I think this was her greatest challenge in this was that you know not having these little vignettes and little snippets because we actually shot more stuff but I ended up not putting it in the film because uh it almost said it was almost like treading water it said kind of too much without still having the ability to sink your teeth into it. She did a couple other really great scenes that I didn't take out because I felt more like by holding back and just getting these little vignettes, it actually ended up making it more powerful because I did see a cut where we had a few more scenes in it and it, it, they were good scenes, but they didn't, it was better this way. It was interesting. I it sort of surprised me as well because, uh, Like I said, they were good performances, but by holding back a little bit, it's just somehow, it's like just sort of peeking into people's lives. It made it somewhat more powerful.
0: And were those scenes uh, involving her and Albert or Billy Crudup?
1: Yeah, there was a scene with Billy and her in a grocery store, and then there was a scene that took place after this last one between... Uh, her and Marion as they 're walking down in the through the hallway and uh, again, they were both really good it 's just um it kind of it was sort of hit that middle ground of kind of saying too much but not saying enough and it, again by keeping it back a little bit, keeping the a little bit more mystery and keeping it a little bit more cryptic and again like sort of a peek into these people 's lives it it just it it definitely became a bit more powerful.
0: And was it essential to get somebody of her stature to be the person next to Albert Finney?
1: Well, yeah, because she's got an eccentricity about her as well. That's what, what I love about Jessica, is that just as a person, she's very interested in things, very artistic, very uh, knowledgeable. And, and uh, I mean, I don't know her well, but she does seem like she's got her own great eccentricity. So you wanted to feel that was part of the power of seeing a reality of a relationship. You you know, she's not just some like the wife, you know, she's somebody that you sense has her own kind of interesting backstories as well and and her own sort of strength and artistry. And also it was important to get somebody like her to, to go up against a character like that.
3: The river?
0: given the personal nature of this story was it a therapeutic experience was it cathartic for you in in dealing with the relationship that you had with your father and and the death of your parents
1: i think so i think it was uh like i said uh these these are kind of subjects that are quite hard to put into words even with a therapist and so to explore it this way is cathartic because you you get the time to kind of go through it and all and uh I, mean, I try to treat any film that way as a catharsis because you're spending a year or two on it and and it should be some kind of catharsis. Otherwise, it's just some sort of job. And uh, But this was particularly that way. And, and again, it was a way to really explore just the amb- ambiguous nature of it and the way that things don't always fit into one sort of box or category and that it's ...multi-layered in its humor and drama and and absurdity and reality all at once. And uh, this part of the movie, too, really captured that for me. Dad. Let's get out of here.
2: And I say, Dad, you're in no condition. Get that wheelchair.
3: Hurry up, we haven't much time. Once we get off this floor, we're
0: in the clear. And uh, we get in the wheelchair. And, I mean, do, do you feel that the movie has helped come to terms with what happened in in your personal life? Has it had that effect or, or not?
1: Well, it's a strange book ending in a way because, you know, it started out with parents dying and then at the end of the film, you know, having a child, it's weird, you know, it sort of mirrors it, although it wasn't really planned that way. Uh, and... Uh, Life does have a strange way of imitating art, and uh, it, it, it was interesting to me that way. So, uh, yeah, I think everything kind of, you know, you look for those mirrors because that's what helps you to kind of be able to talk to actors and be able to kind of talk about something that, again, you can't put into certain tonal... Uh, it's hard to describe these things to people, so you it's best to... to try to feel them as much as you can
0: now talk about this particular sequence and and the cutting back and forth between the reality and and billy's starsky
1: and hutch style chase exactly and his version of 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 what happens his story well that was what was great about it because it you know i like the sort of again that's what it's all about the juxtaposition of it and that's what i liked about the script it was a good way of Showing two people kind of finally connecting without it being like, Dad, I love you, you know, like that kind of a thing. Like the, the corny hug and I love you, Dad, kind of a deal. So this was a better way of expressing those things in a slightly left-field, offhanded way, and yet still be accurate.
2: <laughs> and uh, as we get... as we get close to the river, See that everybody is already there.
1: And how long do you shoot this sequence? Because getting everybody there on. A couple of days, really. Everybody's freezing their ass off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you look at a few people in the background, they've got clenched teeth, you know, their smiles with clenched teeth. Uh... Everyone.
0: And I assume the fact that uh, that Billy is carrying Albert all the way is an
1: effect. Of some kind because you no, Billy's just really, really strong. He worked out for months to get into this, yeah. And we filled Albert with helium, so the combination of the two, it was made it possible.
0: Did this go through a lot of different cuts, or did you pretty much put the pieces together and it all fit it out? Fitted yeah, in?
1: Uh, you know. We try to cut as we're going here because uh, because film schedules get so quick. I don't like shooting a whole bunch of stuff that you don't end up in the movie, especially when it's so close to when you shot it. It's painful to cut out even 10 minutes of something because you just shot it. And it's usually, you're not cutting out because it's bad. Usually it's just because of whatever. Try to edit as we go. And, and uh, even though it changes, you still continue Um, That's always been important to me.
0: Did you have to test this movie? Uh,
1: There was one test. Um, But I was grateful to the studio because I think everybody knew, and this is why I was grateful that they wanted to do the movie. They they all understood that it's not necessarily a movie that you can categorize and that you can sort of treat like the normal thing. And uh, that's why I was very grateful and happy that they wanted to do it. And they were sensitive to that, I think, in the testing stage and you know only did one and all of that because they understood the, the the sort of tricky nature of it that way
0: and this is the ending where reality and fantasy intermingle
1: well yeah that to me was the, the sort of the, the ultimate theme of the, you know or the ultimate symbolism of the movie where you just uh, people questioning what's true and not true and at that, that the end of the day it's all kind of true and that to me is like the true nature of memory and stories and any and, uh, I'm always amazed like people that do a, like biographies, they're writing a biography of, you know, Henry VIII, and they're talking about it like they were there, you know. It's like, well, that's why I love the, the biography of Ed Wood. It was the most accurate biography, because it was a conflicting stories. Like one person saw it this way, the other person saw it that way, and somebody else saw it completely different. And that to me is the most accurate portrayal of memory as things go on you just you romanticize luckily you kind of forget about the bad stuff and you kind of mainly remember the good and it's more romanticized as you as you go on and uh, that to me again is the most accurate portrayal of it
0: so briefly your recollection of this film what was the good stuff and what was the bad stuff well
1: it takes me a few years that's why if i did this commentary you know a few years it would all be a lot rosier now it was just a living hell and a complete nightmare to shoot. It's all good. You know, I have I do actually have very fond memories of this one because uh it's kind of kind of like the people making the movie. It's like a weird circus family and and uh some people will come and go, but it, it really is like a bizarre dysfunctional family which again sort of mirrors the what the movie is about. And so uh yeah, you know, I don't know if I'll be getting that country place in Montgomery anytime time soon, but I, I definitely enjoyed being there.
0: And Jessica is the the one person I think who's wearing uh, red. Everybody else is wearing black. Talk about the uh, the symbolism. Or...
1: Well, I, again, I just uh, these are all just subtle things we felt for showing, without being flashy about it. That that she's just a match for Ed Bloom you know uh, that that he would have liked that and that he would have wouldn't have wanted her dressed in black and and that she's just an individual and she's got her own secrets and eccentricities and uh, you know like like any couple that have a strong relationship
0: Let's just talk about you said to me before this movie was like filming
1: two separate movies. Well, it was f- like filming 20 separate movies in some ways, but I enjoyed that, you know. I and shooting again, shooting those sort of quiet, emotional, bedridden scenes early, then kind of opened it up to kind of uh, uh, and no, that isn't Bill Clinton there in the audience. So many people thought that. There's a guy that looks like Bill Clinton in the uh, in the funeral, but uh, no, he wasn't there. But Benson is. It's nice to see. Yeah, no, he's great. You know, I, I was so lucky with all these people, all these great actors coming in, doing small parts, but they just gave it a, 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 again a reality. And then when you're like, you see all this weird mix of people here, it just makes me, made me laugh in a certain way because it made me just kind of feel like the beauty and the surreal nature of making a movie. It's like all these amazing people together in one shot, you know?
2: Have you ever heard a joke so many times you've forgotten why it's funny? And then you hear it again and suddenly it's new. You remember why you loved it in the first place?
0: So he said he'll
2: fight the giant was 15 feet tall. No way! Dad, that's right, isn't it? Pretty much. See? So he was a giant. That was my father's final joke, I guess. A man tells his stories so many times... ...that he becomes the stories. They live on after him. And in that way, he becomes immortal.
0: for the closing credits you uh you have pearl jam yeah uh sing a song it's an unusual thing for you to do because you don't tend to rely on, on on
1: well i just thought it was a beautiful song you know and what was what i was grateful for is is that um eddie you know they saw they saw the movie and oftentimes you're reluctant to talk to people because you like their music and you don't want to go through that drama of like well it's not quite right or this or that but it's just you know, hit it so right and I was so happy about it. I just thought it was so beautiful and sort of matched and mirrored the film in such a great way that uh, it's probably the first time really that that something has affected me like that. So it was like kind of felt like a real honor in a certain way because it was like, you know, even when people like a movie, you often never feel like they get it. And when I heard that song, I just felt like, well, here's a, a poet or artist who you respect and they just you know, right there, you know, and I I just thought it was it was beautiful. Much like the film. Well, and for those of you who are wondering what the the bad quality of my voice is, is that I have a bad cold, so don't adjust your television set and uh also, if you want to hear extra added coal like sounds on Channel 5, you can hear me coughing up phlegm and clearing my throat. Thank you.